late breaking news. We're here at Camp David. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, <laughs> do some quick introductions uh, and uh, you know, go in reverse order. I'm Ray Wong with uh, Disrupt TV. Got our awesome producer, L. We've got Vala. We'll do introductions as well. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to do some quick uh, intros with our guests. And we're going to go in reverse order. We're going to go with John, Angela, and then Aaron. So, John, what are you calling in? Where are you calling from? And what are you going to be talking about today? On the East Coast, where it's chilly, and I'm going to talk about the new idea behind or beyond IQ and EQ, and it's called TQ. All right, TQ, here we go. Angela. Hi, I'm Angela Yocum. I'm calling in from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm with Novant Health, where I'm the Chief Transformation and Digital Officer. And I'll be talking a little bit about business evolution and how various industries are uh, responding to all that's going on. And one of our CCE speakers and BT150 winners. And Aaron, where are you calling in from? Uh, Aaron Mary here, Austin, Texas. Hook'em, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Austin, the Dell Medical School and uh, UT Health Austin. Talk a bit about digitization and innovation on the fly, particularly with this past year and some of the things we've had to overcome. It's been, uh, it's been interesting times. Also one of our CCE speakers and BT150 winners. With that, um, Vala, do the honors. Great. Three, two, one. Happy New Year, everyone. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send us your questions and we'll do our best to answer them live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He is the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author, of disrupting digital business. Uh, his new book coming out in 2021 is Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And we're going to learn about that in a few weeks. He's a regular contributor to television, business, and technology news, including Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, and Bloomberg. He's a global sought after keynote speaker. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV's first episode of 2021. Thank you. I'm blessed here to be with my awesome co-host and friend, Fala Afshar. He's the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce. You see him for his inspirational tweets, CEO, CMO, CIOs, world leaders. Follow him on Twitter. And more importantly, you can see him speaking at a lot of different events and on business television, as well as an author himself. But it's not about us. It's about our awesome guests. And today we have one awesome guest, BT150 winner, CCE speaker, and more importantly, one of the top CIOs, CDOs in transformation. So who do we got? Yeah, Ray, our segment's only 20 minutes, so I had to cut Aaron's bio to a tenth of what I could share. But our first guest, who I believe is one of the top CIOs in the world, regardless of industry, is Aaron Meary, Chief Information Officer for University of Texas at Austin, Dell Medical School, and UT Health Austin. In 2020, the United States Senate Congressional reappointed Aaron for a second term to the Health and Human Services Federal Health IT Advisory Committee. He was elevated to role of co-chairman of HITAC. In 2016, the Obama administration, HHS Secretary Sylvia Bowell appointed Aaron to serve on the Health IT Policy Committee. Aaron is the prior chair of the HIMSS National Public Policy Committee and serves as an expert advisor to the US Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. He's a nationally recognized uh, CIO to know 2020 by Becker's Hospital, Computing World Premier 100 Technology Leader, Constellation Research Business Transformation 150 winner. He is uh, without a doubt one of the top 
healthcare CIOs to follow on Twitter at Aaron Miri, A-A-R-O-N-M-I-R-I. Welcome back, Aaron, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Appreciate that. I look forward to And I'm humbled by your your comments, Vala. Thank you. I apologize. I had, to, I had to cut out a lot of other great things you've done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Great team and some great organizations. So, but thank you guys for having me. And happy 2021. You, Happy sir. 2021. Uh, healthcare has been center stage for 2021. As you know, everything, all eyes have been on healthcare. We've seen a massive shift during the pandemic. Um, and CIOs and CDOs have to look at things very differently than before. What are they thinking about? Give us, put us in the mind of your fellow colleagues, compatriots that are on the front lines trying to figure out how to support healthcare institutions. Interesting. Our chief clinical officer says something oftentimes, especially around with our, our executive team, which is find grace, find grace in all the chaos that's going on. And so really what we're doing as a technology uh, team, uh, digitization is trying to calm the storm when it comes to COVID-19, keep operations going forward as we're expanding and always trying to innovate and push the edge as well as find new ways of delivering care and delivering business. The great thing about COVID-19, although it's a horrific situation, has been it's forced organizations to adopt technology in a way they've never had to before. And so from our case, we were able to leverage some of the best of UT Austin to take advantage of things like 3D printing, artificial intelligence, some really high-end machine learning algorithms, great partnerships with some of the major cloud providers out there like Amazon and Google and Microsoft and others, and then really double downing on the fact that we have some of the fastest supercomputers here in the world at the ATTAC, our Texas Advanced Computing Center. And so we're able to do things to help contribute to finding the cure for the backs or the cure for the virus with uh, with a vaccine. We, were help, we helped prototype uh, the spike protein uh, method. Uh, we also helped to decode uh, the actual sequencing of uh, the actual virus itself. So our clinicians, our researchers, our faculty, our students are some of the best in the world. And, uh, you know, just a blessing part of that and really helping to advance that mission and uh, making sure that we uh, we don't lose sight of taking care of patients as we're doing all these wonderful things around it. Aaron, what I like about your uh, social presence is not only it's full of technology and healthcare, latest news, but the humanity of, you mentioned grace and I love the, the last week you're like, be kind, uh, right. you know, be respectful. I, you just, you, it's a mix of just being a better person, not just, uh, you know, a world famous technologist like you are. Uh, so I, I love that, I love that mix. Um, we've had in 2020 several uh, leading uh, thought leaders like yourself and practitioners from Paul Doherty, who leads 300,000 technologists at Accenture to folks running the North America Deloitte practice tell us that the pandemic was a forcing function in terms of accelerating cultural and digital transformation by somewhere between five to 10 years. For example, e-commerce, we saw a 10 year spike in 2020 in terms of adoption. What can be said about the healthcare industry uh, in terms of, and you just mentioned a half a dozen emerging technologies from machine learning, computer visioning, 3D, what has happened in your sector um, in terms of accelerated adoption of technology in 2020? Yeah, no, so I'll give you a real world example. I love talking stories, so let's talk about that. Um, mm -hmm. When I joined in uh, 2018 at UT Austin, 
uh, doing some phenomenal things, especially on the healthcare side, where we were leveraging data, big data, those kinds of things. But there was some there was some question about should we even look at virtual reality? Is augmented reality there? Is Oculus something we want to play with? And you always had the traditional faculty and, and clinicians and others are like, you know what? When you're doing uh, gross anatomy, you got to cut into a cadaver. Doing this using AR or VR, well, I don't know if we feel good about this or not or whatever else. It wasn't anything. It was just comfort of delivering excellence and knowing what it takes to be excellent. Of course, being a technologist, I'm like, let's push the envelope and buy some Oculuses anyways. Well, that all paid dividends when we suddenly had to switch the entire medical school curriculum and our clinical practices to virtual, right? You still have to graduate medical students. You still have to get them through and give them world-class education and didactic experiences in the field. So how do you do that? Well, virtual reality, augmented reality from home, leveraging Oculuses, leveraging uh, you know, three-dimensional programming on their, on their computers and their laptops. That's important because you still got to give them that, that creativity. So it's one of those that healthcare did leap very much forward. But am I going to say 10 years? No. I would say by a few years, right? Two, three, four years. And that's somewhat sad, but that's part of the business of it because we are actually keeping people alive at the end of the day. And so you don't want to push the envelope so much so that suddenly you leave your entire workforce behind, but you do want to get them there. The other good thing is that we double down on really listening to the sort of the youth of healthcare. What do people experience? What do they want to be able to do, whether they're a practitioner or whether they are a patient? And so it also enabled us to leverage a lot of tools in the field for patient engagement that maybe wasn't so important in traditional times. It was like, oh, they're going to come in anyways. They're going to park. They're going to deal with the madness of parking in Austin. It's just, you know, it's a terrible drive. She suddenly went digital. It's like, oh man, we got to give them an experience, but we also got to measure net promoter score. We also got to measure things that have been on the consumer wow. side and on the, on, the, on the vendor side for a long time. Now, suddenly, hospitals and healthcare organizations started acting like retail. How do we keep NPS high and keep people happy versus just maximize billing and do what it takes to, to drop a charge and drop an EM code? I really appreciate seeing that shift. UT Austin, of course, is on the edge of this. We're always embracing the future and moving forward. So not every health court organization jumped in uh, two feet first, first, but they had to do something in order to keep the doors open. And I think that has helped the industry overall, which is why you see even last night, the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services extending the pandemic emergency because they can't just go back. The genie can't go back in the bottle. We're not there yet. We're not going to be there for a while. So we have to embrace a new normal. What a credit to your institution to give you the flexibility to innovate and be forward looking. And it absolutely paid off. But, you know, so many CIOs, so many companies were caught, um, you know, in this light switch to a decentralized digital only construct that we experienced starting March of 2020. And uh, it's a credit to your institution and yourself to stay ahead of the game, uh, which is great. Which speaks yeah, volumes about your culture. I think it's important, Vala, and I, and I also think it's important that we're seeing organizations out there. It's been about, we're getting close to a year now since the official pandemic outbreak. You're seeing organizations also in healthcare and healthcare delivery that are stumbling. And they're stumbling because they can't get out of their own way or they have legacy dinosaurs and roles that it's just not going to cut anymore. These organizations, institutions are storied, 50 years, 100 years old. They can't tolerate leaders who can't be dynamic on their feet and have agility. And so you're also seeing a tremendous shift as to what is the role of a CIO? It's no longer a CIO. It's chief transformation officer, chief, chief digital officer, and they're not going to afford to spend three, four, five X the money on having all these roles. They want one person to do it all and no nonsense and no excuses. That's the bottom line. And you can't blame them. 
again, you're acting now more like a product company. You're developing something and you want to be excellent than just, oh, they're going to come in anyways because they always have to. It's a much different construct and mindset. You know, it's a good point. Uh, if I didn't know offerings. you and I heard you speak, sorry, if I didn't know you and I heard you speak, I would have thought you were a chief experience officer because often when you're talking about investments, you're talking about stakeholder experience. And I think that's in the DNA of every successful CIO that I know. Sorry, Ray, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I want to add, I, th I think it's important. So these offerings that you're now you know, providing are no longer geographically constrained. Right. right. And that changes what happens. And you're also seeing that with emergency use licensing with physicians and caregivers across state lines. Uh, and, and that kind of makes some shifts. Do you think that's going to hold uh, in general in terms of the way we deliver care is no longer around borders and geographical constraints uh, as some of the predictions you might have for 2021? I, I do think actually that's going to happen. I also think mobility is going to be first and foremost before you think, think about the four walls. So let me give you two specific examples. Number one, when this pandemic broke out, Texas obviously is bordered by some fantastic states, but not everybody has a level of specialist that we do, as well as we also border with Mexico, which had just as many needs. They were all needing telemedicine assistance, telemedicine service. Telemedicine traditionally has been hampered by uh, reimbursement issues, uh, licensure issues, being that physician could practice across state lines, and then drug diversion issues, which is a DEA limits with your licenses to be able to be able to give prescription drugs, which are sometimes necessary in the course of care. With all those relaxed, we were able to finally free the clinicians to be clinicians and take care of people wherever they are, <laughs> cross international boundaries, whether you're across state lines. How can we put that genie back in the bottle when we suddenly helped tens of thousands of people that maybe wouldn't have been able to have access to it before? I recall before this outbreak that we were helping a clinic out in West Texas with simple dermatology requests and the hoops and hurdles I had to jump through just for skin uh, issues was amazing. Now, no problem. Let's go. Right. Light him up. Give him a link to a, to a Zoom and you're off to the races. We can bill for it. Why would we go backwards? So, yes, that's number one. Number two. Our mental health professionals are some of the best in Texas. And what they've done, device, MiFi, let's go to them. Let's go find the homeless uh, camp here in Austin that needs assistance in the system at the point of care right there. Let's not ask them to come into a facility, right? Uh, mental health has been so underfunded for so many years. Now those professionals, those mental health professionals can go into the field, mobile, they feel comfortable with it, masked up, of course, and help people there. That's the way it should have always been. But now we loosened up the reins to be able to do that. So from a digital perspective and a transformational perspective, and to your point as an experiential perspective, it's incumbent upon me to give them those rules, give them those tools to be able to do that, or they're gonna go find somebody else who will, because the clinicians are not gonna go back. Yeah, so, you know, again, another hallmark of successful CIOs, there are no IT projects, they're business projects. And the business wants to be mobile, business wants to be social, business wants to deliver insights at the speed of need. So what advice do you have to other trailblazer CIOs or CIOs who aspire to be trailblazers like yourself when they have to balance security and scale and availability while they're moving at breakneck speed to try to innovate and improve again, perhaps the stakeholder experience as their North Star for 2021 and beyond? Yeah, no, great question. So first thing I always tell people is seek first to understand, listen, 
go listen to people, go get out there, go into the field, go into the operating rooms, get out of your office and go talk to people. Do not be a dinosaur who thinks they can dictate from behind a keyboard. You're going to be gone. I promise you, you're going to be gone in six months or less, especially at the, at the speed of light uh, pace that we're going now as organizations. So that's first, seek first to understand. Number two, find great mentors. The two of you are mentors for me. I listen to both of you all the time. Look at what you're posting out there, what's going on in other industries, because I can bring those concepts in some form or fashion into healthcare. Why is it that McDonald's is now one of the fastest rising companies on the, on the top 50 from a digital perspective? Because they listen to their customers and they're adopting a better way to give a Big Mac. Okay, let's give that retail experience to our clinicians. Now I'm trying to figure out how to do a quick registration process for vaccinations to get you know tens of thousands of people vaccinated. I'm looking at industries like, like the Ritz, like McDonald's, like what other people have done to bring in some of those concepts into healthcare. Why not? So that's number two is find mentors and great stories you can adopt. It's, it's, you know, we were saying a little bit earlier before the recording here that imitation is the best form of flattery. I have no problem with that. There's some phenomenal things going around. And last but not least, make great partners. Find vendors out there, find the creativity, find folks who are willing to get in the trenches with you and say, well, we've never solved that before. Let's figure it out. Look, when I wanted to 3D print an N95 mask because we were running out of N95 masks, I've never done that before. Nobody ever has, right? People are like, why would you want to reprint and recreate something that took almost 100 years to perfect? Because we couldn't get them. So I said, let's partner with some of the best. We partnered with Microsoft and others to do three-dimensional facial scannings. These people are phenomenal, but we wanted to learn from them. And we were able to recreate an N95 mask that filter 0.2 microns in four weeks. Was unheard of, and now it's going to the FDA certification process because I wasn't going to let my clinicians wear a bandana into a COVID-positive patient room. Not going to happen on my watch. That's what you need. Amazing, amazing. By the way, we have video evidence that you said ran our mentor, so I might put that in my bio. Aaron Mary's mentor. So just, just giving you a heads up. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, there's, this is this is actually great. I mean, those changes you're seeing, like we just, I was just on the phone with Kyle Rand, the co-CEO of a co founder, a company called Rendever that's doing senior living VR, some really cool mm -hmm. stuff that's going on there. We're seeing a lot of these innovations. Now there's the other side that's been going on, all the cybersecurity attacks that are coming in place. Like what is healthcare doing to protect, and you know this, you know this space really well too, protect devices, patient data. I mean, you were there mm -hmm. before at a product company, but the point being is like, what's going on? Because everything, every, suddenly every institution institution in the U.S. is at risk for a cyber attack. You're exactly right. Like we recently saw with the with the horrible thing that happened with solar winds, it is coming down to who do you trust and who can you trust and how do you monitor but verify? Very simple tenets that when you are traditionally on-premise and you know here within the four walls, I can really go walk and probably find the system that's installed. But when you're remote and now you're out there, healthcare had to suddenly adopt what many organizations have had to adopt, which is, well, how do I trust this thing running in the cloud now? How do I trust this application that's being served up? Where, where is that data? Is there a data center across the world that maybe I don't know of and that my patient data is suddenly there? Having different kinds of conversations with companies that maybe you wouldn't have had to before. So what we've done here at UT Austin is double down, making sure we understand third-party risk, which again was what attributed to SolarWinds risk, and understanding who are our key vendors and what are you doing with that data? When was the last time you gave me a SOC 2 type 2? When was the last time we actually talked to your security team and your product team and know what are you doing? Are you coding in some you know Java ancient language or are you more modern? You know what's going on? 
those conversations, healthcare has not been good at traditionally, but we're getting good at it quickly uh, and rapidly, which is why you really can't find good cybersecurity professionals on the market uh, openly available because they're all taken and they're all being well compensated to stay where they are at. Absolutely. This is my last question, Aaron. Uh, I just want your thoughts about having Elon Musk as a neighbor of yours. And uh, <laughs> tell us about the, I mean, you have the foresight to realize that Austin, Texas, it's going to be potentially the next hub for technology trailblazers. What's the scene like? And, uh, you know, tell us, uh, tell us why we should consider opening up our next company in your neck of the woods. So both of you should move here and we have great barbecue, that's number one. No, for real though, <laughs> the, 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 the true person with the vision that saw Austin, what it could become Austin is Michael Dell, right? What Michael, Michael Dell, yeah. Absolutely. Start Dell and he's done what he's done for this community and given so much back to the city of Austin. He knew one day Silicon Hills truly would be Silicon Hills. Elon and others are just late to the game. They're, they're <laughs> realize, right? brilliant so what i like about apple and and tesla and now that google owns one of the biggest buildings in downtown austin amazon expanding its footprint here and here what i like about that in addition to the oracles and all the others in the area is the fact that they realize that the common element here is access to talent the yeah. texas is putting out some of the best graduates and not that i'm ut bias although i am hook them most of texas am which is just 90 miles to my to my so you have two world-class organizations, institutions, right beside each other. These companies aren't silly. They know what they're doing. They see talent, they see top talent, and why wouldn't we do that? Plus we have low taxes, great quality of life, and it's affordable here still for now. So why not? That's why Austin's become Austin. For me, I'm competing with them to make sure I can hire people. That is a tough situation, but I'll take it because I believe high tide rises all boats. Uh, I'm making a prediction. Uh, we may be looking at the next governor or senator of Texas. Aaron, you're a great champion. <laughs> Mayor of Austin, at least. Mayor of Austin. Aaron Murray, Chief Digital Information Officer at Dell Medical Center. You can follow him on Twitter. Awesome tweets. Anything you want to know what's going on in healthcare uh, at A-A-R-O-N-M-I-R-I. -I. Of course, Chief Digital Officer, Chief Digital Transformation, and of course, what's happening as a CIO. So thanks a lot for being on the show. So Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you, Aaron. Terrific. One of the biggest brains uh, in healthcare. Yeah, no question. No, and before we before we jump into intros, happy to have our awesome sponsors, robots and pencils. I forgot to introduce them earlier in the show. Thank you for your sponsorship and for supporting this. Check them out if you're looking at digital transformation. Really appreciate their sponsorship and happy new year. So who do we have next? Our next brilliant guest, Angela Yocum is executive vice president, chief digital technology officer at Novant Health super regional healthcare system with one of the largest medical groups in the US. Angela and her team deliver the world-class consumer capabilities, differentiated technologies and advanced clinical solutions that allow high growth systems to provide remarkable patient care. Angela has served as Executive Vice President CIO at Renta Center, Global CIO at BDP International, Global CTO at AstraZeneca and Divisional CIO at Dell. Angela remains an entrepreneur in resident, mentor and advisor for venture groups and incubators on both US coasts. Angela serves on the board of Freedom School Partners, a nonprofit, committee, nonprofit committed to promoting literacy in the Charlotte area and co-chairs the executive team of the Go Red for Women Charlotte's organization, part of American Heart Association. You can follow Angela on Twitter at A-N-G-E-L-A-Y-O-C-H-E-M. Welcome, Angela, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks so much. It's fun to be here. Thank you.
Hey, we're real excited to have you. And part of the reason is you come at it from so many different industries. You're sitting at the convergence of experiences from all sorts of industries, along with the fact that healthcare is changing, given the delivery models, given the way that we're thinking about access, and you're smack in the middle of it. So I think it'd be great to give some context as to how you're seeing that world converge, and more importantly, some of the larger trends that you're seeing. Great. So, I mean, I think it's it's interesting, regardless of the industry that we find ourselves in, there is almost no industry that can look at itself critically and say, we look the same as an industry at today as we did five years ago. Hmm. So, you know, the ways in which companies in a various industry makes money, the way in which you become a market leader in an industry, the way in which you connect with your consumers or your customers has changed, the ways in which you leverage data to make decisions about every aspect of your business. These things have changed radically for every one of us, for every industry. And so if you're an industry expert and your, your differentiation has historically been, oh, I've been in this industry for 20 years, um, you better get ready because the industry is not going to be the same as it was a year ago, five years ago, when we go you know, forward two more years, three more years. So I think that what we're seeing in healthcare is very much the same as what many of us here today um, have seen in our respective I I industries. It is a rapidly evolving environment, regulatory evolution that's happening very quickly. You know, obviously a number of external uh, factors outside of regulation, such as civil unrest, such as environmental factors, such as uh, non-traditional competitors that are emerging. You know, these are all things to which we have to be prepared to respond and preferably get ahead of and find ways to win uh, in, the, in the new world. What a great point you just made, uh, because uh, what's common with all three guests on Disrupt today, you're all technologists, you're all transformation leaders, pioneers, um, but it's not about just technology. What you just referenced in the last sentence in terms of the highly disruptive year that we just experienced, and eight days into this year, it seems like that's just a continuation of 2020. You're talking about the COVID crisis, obviously, and the healthcare uh, issues that we face, uh, racial unrest, political division, climate change, fires and, and, and floods, and, and, and of course, the mass uh, dissemination of misinformation that's consistently eroding trust. So you have to lead transformation in the roles that you have, but what type of leaders do we need today in our industries when we're faced with so many challenges on top of each other, and it seems like we'll, it will continue well into 2021 and beyond? Well, I think first you need, you need leaders who are situationally aware, right? Who recognize that as headwinds, as their companies start to face headwinds, whatever they may be, uh, the phrase, it's time to go back to basics should never be used. Like that should never be used again <laughs> because there is no such thing as going back to the way things were. Um, the leaders of today need to not only be able to recognize the situation in which they find themselves, they need to be able to start recognizing trends and predicting how to become more agile over time. You know, our friends, uh, speaking of Texas, our friends down at the, at the, at the Feld Group, um, I think in the, in the Dallas area, have this notion of making a distinction between strategic business agility and um, tactical business agility, which I think is really interesting because it's the tactical business agility, which is a, a core foundational capability that all of us need to thrive in the environments in which we now find ourselves, such as all of the things that we've been struggling with in the last year. But it's strategic business agility that's going to allow us to compete and to win and to remake ourselves going forward so that we don't hang on to those old lines of business 
you know, with a, with an iron grip and instead think about how adjacency should be explored. Think about how, you know, maybe fledgling lines of businesses could be nurtured and how investment can be shifted back and forth. You know, and you say it's not a technology problem, but it's impossible to separate all of the new business models and the ways in which we engage various entities with whom we are co-creating without talking about the advances in technologies that are that are that are happening. And that's why, you know, in, in my case, uh, when you introduced me, you said I'm the chief digital technology officer. That was true. Now I'm the chief transformation and digital officer because it's it, again, it's 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 impossible to separate the two, um, even as business leaders who are my colleagues with whom I work, who are brilliant and they're amazing um, as they pursue these new opportunities. So so are there opportunities to accelerate those opportunities? It may not be reasonable to expect someone without that deep tech background to, to recognize. So my teams are deployed across the board in ways that don't look anything like an old tech team. <laughs> right, absolutely, absolutely. I, ju I just read that only 10% of people that go through open heart surgery change their life habits, mm. exercise, diet, sleep. Mm. So it reminds me that even though you can go through a, a life and death scenario, nine out of 10 go back to doing what they used to do. Uh, so the ability to unlearn and relearn the new seems to be a superpower that we need. So, you know, it, it, you, you said be self-aware uh, in terms of the type of leadership. Uh, is it easier now to convince people that you need to lean into technology and new business models in order to survive, given what happened in 2020? Or are we still going to see nine out of 10 people resist change um, and, and unfortunately not be relevant in the near future. You know, your reputation for providing excellent insights has obviously preceded you on this call, but once again, you've demonstrated your capability here. Um, there are, uh, the, 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 the great thing that came out of 2020, people like to talk, you and Aaron talked about it. People like to talk about, oh, you accelerated digital health. Well, sure, you know, a lot of adoption, 25,000 virtual visits a day, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, we, of course, but what it did is it gave us an opportunity to create muscle memory. So even though as we had already crafted the tactical business agility that we needed, it hadn't necessarily been exercised all that much because even as external forces continue to hit us, you know, they hit us one at a time, you know, a little bit at a time. Last year, 2020, we had it all. We had pandemic, we had fires, we had disrupted supply chain, you know, we had civil unrest. We had, you know, individual team members whose whose lives were upended by the loss of a loved one, or the loss of an income, or the loss of, you know, th these are radical changes in society that impact every aspect of every one of our businesses. At Novon Health, we were able to now build that muscle memory that I think is going to take us through, and I suspect other industry, other companies and in other industries as well, will now be better positioned to respond to whatever is going to be next. So uh, that's what I like about 2020. To me, that's the that's the broader capability set that's now been cemented in a lot of our, our businesses. Absolutely. You know, we, we talked about the regulatory uh, oversight that was in place, sometimes a barrier and some of the cultural barriers that are in play. Um, what would be on your wish list to, to be able to in terms of remove uh, from a regulatory perspective or to open up things to improve access or to improve, you know, yeah. cross caregiving or improve, you know, the ability to cross fertilize from different industries? What would yeah. be on your top list? Well, you 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 hit the nail on you mentioned it earlier, way right, which is not not uh, not unusual to hear um, whatever's top of mind for me come out of your mouth uh, in in advance of me saying it. But I'm telling you, that whole licensing issue cross state lines. Come on, come on, guys. Why why are we still talking about that? You know, it is 
uh, we think about the things that are most important as we, we think about raising the health, you know, in, increasing and improving and maintaining the health of our communities. We need to provide access to care. And not everyone can just hop in their car and take a day off work and tootle on down to the nearest clinic, right? We need to improve access to care and we need to improve, improve quality of care. And then there are the costs associated with care, which we can talk about later. But the, the access to care piece is, is, can be largely, uh, as well as quality of care and speed to diagnosis can be largely addressed if we had more freely available virtual visit capability. Technology exists. And by the way, now the adoption appetite's there. And the adoption appetite, not just on the part of the patient communities, but on the part of the provider communities. And um, with the you know, deployment of advanced sensor capabilities, which we have explicitly done as well as just implicitly enjoy as a result of the devices that all of our patients seem to have, 94% of our patient households have, um, we can now gain access to vitals that can be taken remotely. We have unprecedented capability for remote monitoring of patient health. And uh, these are the things that will overall improve the overall health of our patients. But if I'm limited to, the, to a, an unnatural artificial tie between where the patient is geographically mm. and where the advanced practitioner or the physician is geographically, that's an artificial constraint that creates a scaling issue. And, and, and that doesn't seem like it's in the best interest of anybody. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a no, lot of sense. Makes a lot. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this framework that people have been working under has completely disintegrated in the past and the new frameworks have evolved. And I think we have to get really good at sharing them um, so other people can adopt them more quickly. Uh, because that is, back to your earlier point, that muscle memory and our ability to actually show people that this is more effective um, and quantify that. I think that's what people need. They just need that little kick. We can start moving in that direction. So. That's right. Absolutely. I also think as incentive programs shift from you know volume to value, preventative health, proactive engagement, uh, uh, you know, uh, especially since uh, you know uh, 2020 showed us how little we valued uh, uh, decentralization uh, and decentralization to, to a digital uh, only construct that uh, due to the pandemic. So when I think about um, you know, future companies that can really accelerate transformation. I think of technology companies. I think of Amazon. Uh, I think of folks that have built decades of muscle memory and capabilities in terms of understanding and, in fact, predicting the best uh, experience in a digital-only, distributed-only model uh, because they have ecosystem, they have infrastructure, and, and, and they're well uh, ahead of most uh, what I would say, digital immigrant companies that weren't born in the cloud, weren't born mobile, social. They don't have AI underpinnings in terms of how they make informed decisions. What are your thoughts in terms of the dominant players in healthcare, in terms of really becoming the North Star of transformation based on their capabilities, core values, talent? Uh, will it be tech companies that lead this revolution in healthcare? Yeah, so a so couple of great questions there. Um, first of all, let's talk about the notion of a tech, of a tech company. Every company is a tech company, should be. So think about it, think about Domino's delivering pizza. Think about the Washington Post, you know, and the ways in which they're, or any publication, you know, that is now really a tech company. Think about the ways in which revenue is generated now. It, really it's through technical mechanism, right? Think about the way banks operate. Are they, are they really like moving dollar bills around in, in trucks from location? To, I mean, this is a technology company. These are technology companies. The companies in any industry that compete well 
are the ones that think of themselves that way. You're right. They're late to the game thinking of themselves that way, but there's nothing preventing them from making that switch. It's truly just a mindset issue. You know, and if you look at the technology companies, Amazon's the classic example of a company that built a core set of capabilities. And instead of labeling itself a bookseller, labeled itself a tech company and is now expanding easily into in, in, around the edges of a number of different traditional industries, taking on lucrative portions of those industries and doing it very well, mm. not taking on all the baggage associated with those industries, just taking on the bits that make them money. And what a great business model is that? So there's no reason to think, I mean, and, and by the way, we talked about tactical agility and strategic agility. Those are core capabilities that they built into their their their, their organization. And, and why would we not build the same? So at Novant Health, we've built the same set of core foundational capabilities. And my CEO, Carl Armato, I refer to him as the digital CEO because everything about the way he thinks, yep. All of our expansion, all the ways in which we think about engaging the communities, my colleagues thinking about the ways in which we we get to faster diagnosis, get to more personalized treatment, predict major health events before they happen, you know, get advanced technology in the hands and the of our of our patients and our communities, bring in health equity, all the things that we care about can be accelerated and achieved as a result of the adoption and, and investment in technology and 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 um, <laughs> most importantly a robust data environment and ability to crunch that data, right? Ability to crunch it and use it to identify trans, trans and make predictions and, and, and get far out ahead of anyone else in the market. But it, must be, it must be awesome to have a digital first CEO. Uh, that's such a critical mindset uh, to have in, in, in my opinion. Uh, Ray. Very lucky. Yeah, no, <laughs> actually, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm realizing like how important this interdisciplinary piece is, right? I mean, you had tech experience, you had financial services, mm -hmm. you yeah, had insurance, yeah. you had consumer, right? They're mm -hmm. all coming together, right? Mm -hmm. And if you were to, if you were to tell another CIO, and if you're mentoring another CIO that's just getting started, would you tell them to specialize or would you tell them to make sure they get a good broad view of the yeah. different industries? Because the CIO skill set, you know, is, is a core skill set, but the industries are a little bit different in each of these areas. Well, there are a number of ways to, to get that broad perspective, right? You don't have to jump from industry to industry to industry. Um, there are ways that you can serve on the boards of multiple multiple industries. For example, I serve on the board of a, a large insurance company today. Um, I serve on the boards of banks. Um, I serve on the boards of the, on, of nonprofit boards as well that you know that represent various types of capability sets. And these these are ways in which we can build our own our own perspectives, expand uh, the way in which we've you know it's essentially expanding our experience through um, close engagement, even though you're not actively working as a member of the management team in that company. So it's, it, I think it's very helpful for ourselves. And, and I think see, I certainly encourage CIOs to look for those opportunities to engage and expand um, as thought leaders. The second thing I would say is, if as a CIO or a technology leader, whatever your title is, you think that um, your reason for being there is 100% to provide that domain expertise, and you're gonna sit over here in a corner until you get asked a question about how technology can help with something, you know, you're not gonna be sitting in that role for a long. I think Aaron articulated it beautifully. You know, if you're sitting there at the executive team table, uh, you know, your, op your, your obligation is to be able to, is to explore all aspects of the business, is to know it cold, right? Have a grip on your space, but also grab a, grab a grip on other spaces so that you can make right decisions. I mean, you're making decisions collectively, one hopes, and, uh, you know, and, and do what you've been hired to do for the company, for the shareholders, for your constituents, um, you know, whatever the, the circumstance. So it's not for the faint of heart, for sure.
I, I love the advice from both of you. Again, it's, 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 Ray and I speak to some of the top technologists, transformation leaders in the world. And again, common theme is your, your, your player coaches. You're not standing on the sideline as the tech expert only. You have skin in the game. You're suited up and you're, you're diving for the ball and you're, you're in the game. Uh, and that's so important. And it's, it's great career advice because those who think they can sit in the stands and enjoy the game just because they have domain expertise will not be on that team for long. So I greatly appreciate your, your sage advice. Yeah, no, this is awesome. We're seeing a lot of convergence here. Real quick, you know, for your area, Charlotte, definitely happening. One of the big financial tech hubs uh, of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us what's going on there from the uh, tech scene and uh, what you're seeing as well. So. So yeah, it's it's really great scene. So obviously FinTech scene started about 10 years ago. Um, a lot of innovation, a lot of investment from the big banks uh, in town into the FinTech space, a lot of investment from other entities as well. Um, we've seen a lot of growth across North Carolina, um, particularly in Charlotte, um, from a, a number of new headquarters are, are locating here. Um, and we're, you know, I, I think that there are some headquarters that would, there's some other significant players in other industries that might object to it being called a financial services company, a financial services town these days. I mean, Lowe's might object, uh, Honeywell might object, uh, you know, all of these big companies that are coming through. You know, Novant Health might say it's more of a healthcare company. I mean, healthcare town, yep, you know, yep, we yep. have a lot of innovation, but there's a ton of money flowing through here. I mean, where there's money, where there's investment, mm. we have all these different universities. We have five different major universities in the Charlotte metro area alone, one of which is a 30,000 person campus for goodness sakes. I mean, these are big schools. Wow. And so they're coming, they're coming up with some great tech talent, some great talent across the board. Um, so access to the talent, access to the money, great cost of living, great tax benefits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> what, I'm, about I'm, the, what about the barbecue? Uh, you know, Aaron's that's like barbecue. Carolina barbecue. <laughs> Guess what? Carolina has some pork barbecue. <laughs> we now have the barbecue wars going in place. Tech hubs, barbecue hubs, everything. <laughs> Angela Yoakum, Executive Vice President, Chief Transformation and Digital Officer at Novant Health. Thank you so much for being here. You can follow her on Twitter at Angela Yoakum, Y-O-C-H-E-M on Twitter. And Happy New Year. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Angela. You were terrific. Wow. That's so it. much to think about. Thank you. Ray, what a privilege you and I have. Uh, and speaking of privilege, uh, our, so we typically reserve the, the, the final spot where we expect someone to come and hit a grand slam uh -oh. uh, and really wrap up the show. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to tell you, and I'm going to read the bio, but if there's one person that would, if I, if I was forced to follow one person to understand <laughs> the healthcare industry on Twitter, this is our last guest. So let me just go through the proper bio. John Nosta, president, founder of Nosta Labs, a leading voice in convergence technology in health. John helps define, dissect, and, and deliberate global trends in health technology and innovation. He's consistently ranked among the top names in almost every digital health list, and he has sustained that number one position uh, for several years. Beyond simply an influencer, John is also uh, defined as most admired and top disruptor in digital health, life sciences, and pharmaceutical industry. He's a member of the Google Health Advisory Board and World Health Organization technology expert. He was named the top one of the top experts in the world by the WHO. John is also a frequent popular contributor to Fortune, Forbes, Psychology Today, and Bloomberg. Uh, John has also been published in prestigious peer-reviewed journals, including the American Journal of uh, Physiology, Circulation, and the American Journal of Hematology. 
He's a founder of Nostal Lab, a digital health think tank that's focused on guiding companies, NGOs, and governments through the dynamics of exponential change in the technology marketplaces. Again, my highest recommendation follow on Twitter in terms of health industry. You can follow John at John Nosta, N-O-S-T-A. Welcome back, John, to the Shroff TV. Thank you, thank you. What a pleasure, guys. Um, it, Ray, it, Vala, man, it, it is it's such a such a fun uh, opportunity to chat. First of all, you know, first of all, Aaron and Angela are A's, right? They get two A's to start the show. Brilliant. It's like it was a little bit like drinking out of a fire hose. Their, their information was so good, so spot Angela on. Angela was amazing. I know Aaron personally, and I consider him again one of the top mm -hmm. CIOs. Absolutely. Not just in healthcare, just a top CIO. Period. Uh, he's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I know thank we've you. got some of the top transformation leaders there. But hey, let's jump to the chase. You're in a brand new lab, man. Brand new yeah. studio. So let's talk about what's going on because you're all set for telemedicine, even though that's not what's going on. But yeah. telemedicine's off fire. Something you've been talking about for a while. It's finally catching on. Is it on? Is it up there? I mean, you're looking <laughs> at Teladoc stock. You're looking at all these other things from Plush Care all the way to everywhere else. I mean, this thing seems to be on fire. Everybody seems to be doing it. Um, what is the real state? Okay. I guess the question is, is telemedicine on fire, right? There's certainly smoke and I'll, <laughs> I'll give you that much. But, you know, I think that we are at a unique time in human history for, for the technological convergence. You know, we all talk about that exponential curve and the inflection point stuff. But what I think we're seeing now with telemedicine is a triple inflection point. And, and that's simply put, it's, it's the technological availability. Things work now. We have the technology. That's number one. Number two is that we have a legal, regulatory, and medical pathway. So we're seeing people say, okay, you can do it from a variety of regulatory perspectives. That's real interesting, that's important. And the third is this notion of morality. It's the right thing to do, it's a, it's a clinical necessity. So those three things are coming together and boom, telemedicine, smoke, right? Fireworks too, but I don't know about the flame. And, and there's two things I wanna uh, uh, bring to the discussion here today is, as I've been looking at the data, and I'm looking at different data sources, and they don't align perfectly, but we saw that peak in May and April of telemedicine visits. It's almost down to baseline now. Wow. So what does that tell you? Does that tell us that human nature seeks to see the doctor? You know, that, that telemedicine is a one-off, is an exception, is an emergency, or is it a standard continuum of care? So again, fire, maybe, heat, yeah, flames, I, I don't know yet. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out why that's gone down. Now, there is a cyclical nature of telemedicine business. Like I see my doctor every six months, so I don't need to go there, right? But I think uh, across a variety of specialties, we're seeing things that are are not working and, and there's something not going on right there. Now that's number one. Number two, which I think is just as important is we've done something that I think is fundamentally wrong. Now let's go back to the user experience, right? You guys all remember the user experience and how that changed technology. Well, back in the old days, we took our four page brochure and we put the cover on page one of the website and page two was page two and page three was page three. Hey, don't give away our old website secrets. That's what we did. That's what we're doing with telemedicine. What we're doing is taking a clinical visit and translating it to a Zoom call. 
Is that the optimal way you want to interact with your physician? I think that that may not be the case. We need to develop not a CX, I'm sorry, not a, not a, a, a customer experience, a user experience, a UX. PX. We need to have a CX, right, or a CLX, a clinical experience that uses technology that maybe experiments with how you listen to breath sounds or heart sounds or EKGs or other clinical dynamics so the physician has a more robust telemedicine visit. So for me, it's telemedicine 2.0 or telemedicine 3.0 that's actually going to do something that's really interesting. It's going to make the telemedicine be better than the office visit. And that's, that's a game changer. Wow. I mean, you're looking at tons of trends out there. And one mm -hmm. of them is really, you know, collaboration as well in terms of where this is happening. Um, telemedicine, collaboration, other things are popping up. Let's start with collaboration. Where do you see uh, that heading and what do you think is important? Isn't isn't it interesting that when we talk about telemedicine, it's the ultimate collaborative collaborative experience? Should be yes, right? It's but what telemedicine does, it it makes something old fashioned come to life. What telemedicine does, it reinvents the house call. Yep, that old fashioned thing where the doctor was in your presence in your house. Now, maybe he didn't have a stethoscope there on the telemedicine visit, but we have all that stuff. So the essence of, of advancing the discourse, the dynamic, is collaborative medicine, right? That's old news. We've been talking about that for years now, the collaboratory. How many times have we talked about getting all the stakeholders involved, <laughs> right? It's just, I'm just tired yeah. of that. But what we have today is the clinician, the patient, the caregiver, the payer, all these people coming together. And, and that's interesting, right? The nature of collaboration is the way to go, but there's one fundamental point that's missing today. And I think this is the linchpin to the collaborative dynamic. Technology demands a seat at the table. Technology is our partner. And there's a, a variety of reasons for that. One is the collaborative dynamic today is really crappy. The, the, the collaborative dynamic today is one of consensus building. So we'll take, take Vala's point you know, he wants this and Ray wants this and I want that. And we'll come together at an extraordinary compromise. That compromise does not define innovation. You know, if you want, you want a white house and I want a red house, making a pink house is not an appropriate solution. So I think the collaborative dynamic in the human construct is extraordinarily flawed because that's the nature of society today. We want to be inclusive and inclusive does not necessarily mean that it's a democracy, that everybody gets the equal vote. And now, now add to that this notion of information. Information is coming at us at speed, at volume, at source that we cannot assimilate. The human brain cannot assimilate technology. The physician cannot assimilate the number of clinical trials, the new papers, the, the, the ridiculous information that some patients might be sending, like GN, DNA analysis, right? Or the number of steps. Can't do it. You can't do it. So this leads us to a fundamental assumption, a fundamental proposition that makes everybody nervous. And that, that moves beyond just having technology as a collaborative partner, but it, it questions who the smartest person in the room is, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if back in my day, you know, the, the nurse was in the room and the patient and maybe the respiratory therapist, but when the clinician or, oh man, if the chief of medicine came in the room, everybody stood a little taller, everybody quieted down because the guru will speak. Well, the smartest person in the room is AI. The smartest person in the room is technology. And that fundamentally shifts the cognitive burden, hmm. right? Do I need to remember that the first intermediate pathway to the tricarboxylic acid cycle is 1,6-fructose diphosphate? Do I need to learn that? 
I don't know, you know? Maybe I do as, a, as an intellectual exercise to make my brain strong, but I don't know if I need to know that as a clinician. Maybe I need to know a, a bit of coding or a bit of marketing or a bit of optimizing communication skills. So, so I think that the collaborative dynamic is changing. Technology is part and parcel of that, of that collaborative dynamic, and it's gonna flip people out. You know, I, I watched uh, Jack Ma at World Economic Forum, and he said, he, "Did no, you he, see him? He, you know, he's missing, right?" I know. Jack Ma? And, uh, first of all, though, and, yeah. uh, and he said, in order to be successful, in order to compete and thrive, you need to not just have IQ, not just EQ, but you also need LQ. LQ. You, you got to love what you do. Love coaching. You got to love the people you serve. Love the mm -hmm. job. Love mm -hmm. the way you do it. And then you immediately responded to my tweet and said, oh, <laughs> there's a missing element to this formula. It's not just IQ. It's not just EQ and LQ. You complete this formula with TQ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you have a podcast that speaks to TQ. And I'm hoping, the rumor is, I don't know if this is breaking news on our show, that there may be a book on TQ. Ah, that, that, that is breaking news. <laughs> okay. I hope all so. Right, all right. There, there's some know. notes scribbled oh, on a page. Fantastic. Okay. So tell us. Uh, tell us about the book. Tell us about what. Oh. Explain to our audience why is TQ as important as the other Q? I, I the confronted book? Jack, actually, in, in Moscow of all places wow. and we had this great that would have been a podcast right we discussed this notion of l and love brand and lq and all that kind of stuff and i think that that to a large degree love fits into this notion of of empathy it's an emotional construct that lives there sure. and so i i believe that it's very simple okay our ability to assimilate technology into our lives School kid, teacher, doctor, business person, housewife, anybody, our ability to assimilate technology into our lives is an independent arbiter of our success. It comes down to that. And, you know, in today's world, we have to be smart. We have to be empathic, but we need to embrace technology. So I'm trying to quantify that. And look at look at what technology quotient does. And here's an interesting thing. You know, you could argue that your TQ uh, your IQ is fixed, right? I mean, smart kids tend to be smart adults. I mean, that might evolve. There's even some data to say that that you could increase that. Dumber. Right, some of us go down, right? But but there's a kind of a bandwidth, right? So that's why I think that our IQ is kind of fixed. EQ in a similar way may have a little bit more bandwidth, but a lot of that is kind of intrinsic. And what I find very interesting about technology quotient is that the appropriate use of technology can impact IQ and EQ. Think about that for a second. Vala, uh, Ray, I'm sure you'd agree that technology has made you smarter, your ability to do a search. Sure. Right? So IQ can be enhanced by TQ. EQ, recognizing, talking with people, engaging with people, all these techno-based human things create this swirl of emotion. So that's why I think that that TQ may rise to a level where it becomes, it, it has the ability to impact IQ and EQ. And that cluster, those three things, simply put, IQ plus EQ plus TQ is the formula for success. So, so unless you can uh, increase your TQ, you may not reach your full potential in terms of IQ and EQ. 
I think now that's a pop, that's a hypothesis that I'm working on right now because I believe that technology has made me smarter. Technology has connected me with facts and figures. Yeah. I mean, just your guys' tweets, and I, and I mean this in all seriousness. These little glimmers of 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 ideas that spark creative thought that push me in paths I never would have gone down is a function of of of, of my cognitive capacity. And, and again, you know, talking to you guys online, the, the human connections that I've made on social media and Twitter are profound and important. I define some of my best friends in today's world by people who I know online, some of whom I've never even met. So I met yes. both of you. I met both of you on Twitter. Yeah. And yeah. this show uh, next month is our fifth year anniversary of Disrupt mm -hmm. TV. We conducted mm -hmm. 670 interviews prior to today. So we're at 673. And, uh, the, no question, it, it, it has enhanced my IQ and EQ. I have yeah. some deeper appreciation of what uh, uh, you know uh, trailblazers like you are mm -hmm. doing. Now, think about think about measuring IQ and EQ and TQ. Now, now maybe TQ is not a number. Maybe it's in an amorphous shape, or or it's it's a um, a prototype of sorts. Maybe it has an X and Y. Maybe it's a dimensional shape that has form, you know? So I think there's lots of ways of looking at it. And this is really, really important because every single client I speak with today, and I'm sure you get the same question, how can we drive innovation? How can we drive technology? How can we inculcate technology into our business? And the way you do that is to drive it into lives because culture defines innovation and technology, culture squashes innovation too. So, John, according to World Economic Forum uh, Future of Work Research, they state that by 2025, across multiple industries, 50% of tasks will be done by machines, 50% by people. So if my coworker is going to be an ML algorithm, mm -hmm. and I know Ray's going to replace me at some point with an avatar uh, on Disrupt, <laughs> so that there'll be smarter questions of our audience. Uh, um, do Doesn't TQ now become a necessity in terms of how we measure and how we guide individuals' path on a higher TQ journey if literally I'm in an algorithmic economy competing with or co-creating value with, let's not say compete, co-creating value with yep. machines as my colleagues. 100%. Now, Vali, you said something very interesting. You said that technology will encompass 50% of the pie and, and what will be left for humanity is 50%. Well, that's interesting, but I, I want to give you this thought. Grow the pie. So technology will allow me to eliminate the spoken word and, and music that is mediated by sound waves and put that sound directly into my head. We create a whole new industry of music that has a profound range. Right now, we're limited by vibration. We can take music and pump it right into our head and have a completely different musical experience. Well, that's using technology to change the human experience as a musician or as a composer. So the 50% grows and that's, that's where it gets exciting because that the technology makes us more human. It doesn't compromise our human abilities. It doesn't restrict our human abilities. It's a path to richness and profound growth for humanity. Ray, yeah, every time I listen to John, he expands my mind. Just <laughs> ridiculous. Really, really no, it, great, great yeah, I, wisdom. You know, it's that paradigm we were talking about before, John. I think you and I were on a panel and we we're talking about mm -hmm. how the fact that, you know, you can, you know, 
trust intelligent automation completely. We're mm -hmm. going to have to augment the machine with a human so that that's where the learning occurs and that's the pairing up. We have to augment the human with the machine mm -hmm. to help us make faster decisions and exactly. get to the next best action. And then there are places where we're just still gonna have to trust human judgment, right? And, and I think those are four paths that we're gonna see across that automation spectrum. So, completely. And everyone's gonna have to bump into that. It's so really, we really, could be talking uh, for uh, hours. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I like the scenario planning, the four, scenarios you just and i think exceptional practitioners like aaron angela you know they have to decide at what point do they pivot from one scenario to another to advance and grow and scale their business and that's where you're going to need again incredible yeah, tq remember guys it's scary right it's 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 frightening you know our first technology arguably is fire okay <laughs> fire let us eat, grew our brains, let us stay up at night, let us move around, let us live in the cold, right? Fire was amazing. Our ability to manage, capture, and deal with fire was great, okay? It was, it shared a duality of wonder and fear. Mm. It was the most wonderful thing in the world. It heated my cave, but it burned everything. Today, fire is an essential component to our lives, and it still is one of the single biggest destroyers of personal property. Fire still burns down houses and burns down forests. It's wonder and fear. So things get scary. AI is the most wonderful thing in the world, but it scares you. It's frightening. Mm -hmm. And it's that's the duality that we have to confront in the context of TQ, that it's a, it's a duality. And the cooler the idea, the bigger the transformation, the scarier and more frightening it very well may be. John Nosta, you're on fire. And I mean in a good way. That was awesome. Grand slam. Fuego, man. Fuego. John Nasta, president and founder at Nasta Lab. More importantly, follow him at John Nasta. And uh, you can catch him on Twitter with some of the most insightful information uh, about healthcare and the future. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. You're terrific. Wow. Uh, Ray, is there a better way to kick off 2021? Uh, this was first episode of this year. Next month, again, our five-year anniversary. And uh, for those of you watching, uh, thank you for opportunity to have our favorite time of the week, which is learn from some of the best and brightest minds in the world. And with that, uh, episode 219 is next week. And we're going to have Tony Utley, president at Honeywell Quantum Solutions. Let's talk about advancing your TQ and understanding of quantum technologies. We have uh, Devani Lamar, uh, CEO of Transposit as our guest, and Rafaela Camara, advisor of the WXR Venture Fund. So uh, incredible big brains on episode 219. Ray, your closing remarks on uh, our first episode of 2021. On a very slow yeah. news week. <laughs> on a very slow news week, nothing going on. Uh, you know, this is a look. I think the impact of technology on society, the technology, especially we talked about today here on healthcare, uh, we're going to continue to see that uh, hopefully advance uh, access, advance the, uh, the ability to actually deliver new types of care models, uh, but more importantly, really advance humanity. And, uh, and I think really that's what today's session was about, uh, seeing where the future could lie and, and what the possibilities are. And of course, the people that are behind it, uh, as well as the you know, organizations that are advancing that. So, so I think we got a really good insight. I think that's really important for everybody to be able to see you know, what's possible, what's out there, and uh, where we're headed. And uh, we couldn't think of three better individuals to do that. So uh, any thoughts for the new year, Bob? Where are you headed? My thoughts and the question that keeps going um, you know, in my mind is an update on everybody wants to rule the world. Give us an update on the book. Uh, I've had the privilege of, of a preview 
uh, me and a handful of folks around the world. Uh, but uh, what's what's the news on what is sure to be a bestseller? So we're hunting for Kurt Smith. If anybody knows the Tears for Fear singer, let me know. Uh, do you want to reach out to him? No, I was kidding. <laughs> no, the, the book is in great shape. Uh, the book is, um, they're finalizing all the stuff that, you know, editors and book publishers do. Uh, we're in the process of doing endorsements. Uh, the book will kick off. We'll probably do the launch in July and some pre-launch activities, May and June. Uh, but for our clients, uh, we'll share some of that insights earlier, really about what's happening with the business graph and how to build out new types of digital monetization models, uh, how to compete and how to partner in that world. And of course, there's going to be a lot of talk uh, given the uh, political climate really about how these digital giants are regulated, uh, what are fair constructs for free markets and fair access. Uh, so we'll, we'll see a little bit of that going forward. But uh, yeah, um, you know, when you it's, write a book. It's intellectually, uh, it's intellectually rich. I've had to read a number of pages more than once to fully grasp the context and the multiple dimensions in terms of policies, politics, new business models, uh, use cases that are post-pandemic references. It's a very up-to-date, it feels like you wrote the book last week. Uh, so I kudos to you because you reference things that are right now in the news in terms of your thesis. Um, and uh, so anyway, it's, uh, it's I, again, I'll wait for the, proper time to do the endorsements but i gotta tell you it's a hard it's a hard book to put down so so really I, I, get it out there <laughs> <laughs> i want to get it out faster if i can so i'm sure the publishers are there but hey thanks everybody thanks for being on the show thanks to robots and pencils for their sponsorship and more importantly catch us every friday uh, for the live broadcast 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern and you're watching disrupt tv here with bala afshar and myself thank you bye everyone